0: This is the Tallest Tree Digital Podcast. In each episode, Cord Bloomquist talks to communications and marketing professionals working in the world of public policy to bring listeners strategies, tactics,
1: and real-world experience they can put to work in their own careers. Here is your host, Cord Bloomquist.
0: Hello, I am Cord Bloomquist, and this is the Tallest Tree Digital Podcast. This week, I spoke with Brian Phillips, Vice President for Communications at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Uh, we talked about the Texas Public Policy Roadshow Brian recently put together, integrating polling into how your think tank works and how TPPF used polling on a recent property tax reform effort. I want to remind everyone to visit podcast.tallestree.digital where you can follow the listen on Apple podcast link to rate and review the show. Here's my interview with Brian Phillips, Brian Phillips. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, can you tell our listeners what you do, where you work and the mission of your organization?
1: Sure, absolutely. Um, I'm the chief communications officer for the Texas Public Policy Foundation, and we are uh, in a network of what are called state-based think tanks. Um, So a lot of people are familiar with organizations like uh, the Cato Institute or the Heritage Foundation on the national level. Well, there are a bunch of us uh, that are out in the states. Almost every state has at least one uh, conservative-leaning and one liberal-leaning state Think tank, and so we're the the primary conservative state think tank in Texas. Um, and the mission of our our organization is maximizing liberty. I mean, our our real goal here is to try and get government out of the lives of individuals so that they can live their lives uh, however they 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 seem or however they f- feel fit to do. Um, so that's the that's the general sort of fifty thousand foot uh, organization um, or excuse me, that's a sort of the 50,000-foot explanation of, of what we do. Uh, more specifically, we do specific issues. Our top issues are things like education, uh, the fiscal issues on budget and spending and taxes, um, and then healthcare. And recently, we've gotten into uh, the ed- the immigration issue as well.
0: And that makes sense. Those are the things that you're going to be tackling at the state, the state level, those state budget issues, uh, education. Do you feel that working in... Uh, in politics has benefited you in working in policy. Do you find that your your um, experience working for Senator Mike Lee for several years and for the Cruz for President campaign helps to inform the way that you do your work? Do you think the policy world ought to be bringing in more people who have experience in the, po- in the politics world?
1: Yeah, I think so. That's a really good question. It's actually come full circle for me because I started at the Heritage Foundation and doing policy, and then got into politics and working on the Hill, um, and got into you know high level campaigns, and now I'm back doing policy. And it's just sort it's it's um, it's well rounded in the sense that you have to work on, especially on campaigns, you have to work on a million different issues a day. And so uh, once you start working at a, a public policy think tank, particularly in the communication side, where you have to be an inch deep and a mile wide, it really does um, help help you get your feet under you and understand the the tempo of the work. Um, The other thing that's important is the the campaign um, infrastructure is very similar to what's needed to pass legislation. If you think about legislation as a candidate, um, there are different phases in the public policy um, uh, timeline that are similar to campaigns, such as public awareness phase, um, a community building phase or going out and looking for supporters on, say, on a campaign. Eventually, and then course, there's a vote. That's right. And, yeah. and at the end of the day, it's you. Did you win or did you not win uh, that legislation the same way that, you know, you either won or lost your primary or your general election? And there's activism involved. I mean, obviously, people want, you know, are out there saying, call your congressman or call your senator and uh, or they're doing events and doing rallies and things like that for public policy. Uh, goals as well. So it's very similar if you think about it. Uh, and our organization has taken that on uh, recently and to take a, a more of a campaign infrastructure uh, approach to passing public policy.
0: So part of that is, is uh, in, a, in a campaign, you're going to be targeting likely voters. Uh, who is your target audience when you are trying to educate about public policy or have a specific policy change made? Uh, are you targeting those state legislators or are there people who are kind of in their network that you're trying to target as well?
1: Right. It's the people who vote. Right. So it's going to be state reps and state senators. Um, it's going to be the leadership of both parties, the governor, the lieutenant governor, uh, folks like that who are going to be the, the policy makers and the policy implementers. But... Um, um, but you still have a, you know, you still have a ground game, you still have um, activists that, you know, call their senator and, and tell them, you know, what, what they support or get active online and post and, and uh, you know, of people writing letters to the editor and that kind of thing. So we have, you know, multiple audiences that we that we like to reach out to on a consistent basis. Um, obviously, you know, we're a think tank, so we have a a donor base that we like to reach out to, um, state legislators and their staff. People always forget that the staff is incredibly important. And so we'll have primers and things like that for the staff on, to learn about it. Um, and then, and then, like I said, the folks outside who might be supporters of certain legislation, we, we, uh, use them as, as audiences as well.
0: So one of the ways, um, you've. Taken this message out there uh, is with the policy roadshow. I think you might be calling it the policy tour. I like roadshow, uh, but uh, <laughs> why did you decide to, to to do this? This is a series of events that you're running where you're talking about public policy. Mm-hmm. Um, why did you decide to take your show on the road? Most think tank people. I was an intern at the Cato Institute once upon a time, and I think of think tankers as. Uh, People whose desks are very messy, piled high with newspapers and books, who only skitter out of their office on occasion uh, to to maybe be on a panel discussion that's at the think tank only for other wonks. But you're you're out there talking to real people.
1: That's right. It's a it's an incredibly important uh, tool for getting the message out on the the communication side is to get out of the building, get out of your city or county and go and talk to real people. Uh, Not only um, uh, to send your message out there and get your message out, but actually to hear the issues that people are dealing with on a daily basis. And you can talk about property tax all you want or spending or budget, but to actually hear somebody talk about um, the issues they're having between, you know, the property taxes going up every year and having it, making it difficult for them to save for the future or pay for college or even put food on the table. Um, you know, those are really, really important stories that we as policy makers um, or even researchers need to hear. So that's a really, really important tool to get out there and talk to people. The the other major benefit of it is that, you know, some people just aren't going to open every email, or they're not just, you know, they're not going to happen to read the paper that day and see your commentary or your op-ed. But when you go to their city, when you go into their backyard, you're saying that we believe that not only is this a really important issue, but we think your community is really important. Um, And so we want to have this discussion with you here in your community. And so we have been pleasantly surprised that by going out and going into, you know, suburban communities and, you know, everywhere around Texas. We were just in El Paso yesterday uh, and the day before that we're in Lubbock and and Amarillo, which are in the panhandle in Texas. Um, Going into those communities, it says, you know, that that your voice is important, your feedback is important, um, this community is important. um, And so it it helps, you know, people will come out to the event and they'll share. So we've been, like I said, pleasantly surprised that, you know, we're getting, you know, 100 or so people at each one of these events. Um, The last thing it does is, even if you have a really successful event, um, you can, you know, with 100 or 200 people, that's only 200 people in the, you know, community suburb of Dallas. The fact is, those events allow us to talk to tens of thousands of people in that area multiple times. When you're talking about event, you're not just you know talking about the public policy issue or making some kind of argument. Um, it's really interesting to people that you would come to their event, and so you know you can use your list to talk to those folks uh, two, three, four, five times before you even come to before you even have the event. And then even after the event, we're talking to people about what happened. If you, you know, did you miss the event? Were you not able to come? Well, here's a video of what happened or here's pictures. And so it offers, a uh, uh, for communication professionals, it offers a, a tool to be able to interact with your audience multiple times and not interact with tens of thousands of people rather than just the 200 people that showed up at the event. So they're really, really important tools for us to help get our message out.
0: And so the event creates some sense of a happening as opposed to policy ideas are kind of just floating out there in the world. Now there's a reason to talk about this now and it's here and it's in your community. So there's a little bit more of an immediacy and an urgency to why have this conversation right now.
1: That's exactly right. That's, that's the thing that um, sort of captures the imagination of people rather than just a 750 word op-ed, you know, that you send out to them.
0: And tell me what these events look like. Uh, So you say it's about 100, maybe 150 people. Where do you hold these? Uh, Is it a a question and answer? Do you have a panel? Is there a presentation and then Q&A? How does the event break down?
1: Each one of them is a little bit different. We've done them, um, you know, we've done them in auditoriums, we've done them in back rooms at uh, restaurants before. Hmm. Um, so it just, it just really depends. Some of them have been happy hours where we actually have people have drinks. And so it
0: is like a campaign It's sort of whatever you can do.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, whatever makes people comfortable to to come and, and to find the venue. So obviously that's a really important part is having a comfortable venue. We generally structure them like panels Um, But we want it to be a free-flowing discussion with the audience. And so we'll have an intro and we have somebody who's a moderator, uh, which is really important because when you're talking about politics and political issues and policy issues that really matter to people, sometimes, you know, some people can form their uh, question in the form of a statement sometimes. Um, and sure. go on, and on. So you got to have a good moderator there to, to make, move the discussion along. And then uh, these particular events, we just took four issues that were the hottest issues from the last legislative session that we had here in Texas. And we have one person talk about um, the progress that was made on that issue and then the path forward. Not everything was a home run. Not everything was a win. Some things we didn't even make any progress on. And so we have a real honest discussion about what actually happened on that property tax issue or what actually happened um, on that uh, education issue, uh, and then do about 10 minutes talking about that, and then uh, each one will give a, a small presentation just to get this conversation going um, with people. And we really love to reserve about 30, 40 minutes at the end for question and answer and discussion back and forth. Um, and another feature of it is that we'll, a lot of times, we will invite the local state rep or the local state senator to come, uh, not to feature them necessarily because, um, you know, we're we want to we want to control our event. But it's really important to have them there so that they're part of the community and part of that discussion so that they can talk about their experience at the state legislature on those issues. But also those constituents have an opportunity to talk to their directly to their state rep. So, they're really, really, uh, they've been really helpful uh, in terms of getting our message out. um, And we've had just a tremendous amount of success with them. Um, And we just decided today, um, in an earlier um, back and forth email, that we're going to continue to go. Even though this tour is over, we're going to find more reasons to to go out there and and continue to, to tour the state and
0: get out of Boston. And you capture all these on video?
1: We do, um, but some of them we've actually live streamed before. We now have the capability to do um, uh, portable, uh, yeah, portable live streaming uh, from anywhere in the state as long as we've got a good internet connection. Um, and so we have live streams, some of them. Others will just record and then and then put up um, uh, on our website. So do you do helpful. a
0: sort of a post game analysis like um, like the coaches sitting in the little room around the TV on Friday Night Lights afterwards and and. Think over what people have uh, have said to you, and try to incorporate the, those questions or that feedback or those questions in the form of a statement uh, <laughs> into into the way that you talk about these issues.
1: Absolutely. Um, I mean, there's no better. I mean, you know, when you communicate, you want to be able to use the language of your audience to better communicate with them. And so hearing how these individuals are dealing with these issues on the local level uh, is something that we incorporate into all of our messaging and uh, all of our products. Um, But, yeah, there's always there's always a, a good 15, 20 minutes. Um, you know, after, or maybe in the car on the way to the next event, things like that. What could we be doing better? What could be presenting better? We're co- we have a uh, PowerPoint presentation. Each one of the um, the analysts only gets three slides. And so uh, we, you know, we talk about ways to make the slides better, to make the pictures uh, more informative, uh, more interesting, um, ways to move it along a little bit quicker. So yeah, there's always an after action on generally everything that we do here at TPBF, but certainly that.
0: Yeah, I'm always interested in the way that that uh, the groups incorporate uh, kind of a post-mortem on things and analyzing how they can do better and reviewing being receptive to that feedback. It sounds like you're doing that. You're not just a, you know, there can be this tendency in, in policy, especially for the speaker to be up there speaking Latin and nobody in the uh, audience <laughs> understands what's going on. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, absolutely. And and you sort of identify stories that work and that don't work. And you know, I've been doing, you know, communications and critiquing candidates and things like that for a long time. So I don't have any problem going up to people and saying, Hey, you know, that story didn't work or, you know, when you said it this way, uh, I think people were misinterpreting what you mean. Let's let's fix it. And we have a really good group, a really good relationship with all of our analysts and they're very coachable. So it's also important for um, communications professionals to have a really good bedside manner when it comes to critiquing um, what people are doing. Uh, but it also helps when the analysts don't have a big ego and there's no you know, pride and authorship at all and everybody wants to work together.
0: Do you find that that's um, easier to do when everyone has a real shared sense of the mission of the organization?
1: Absolutely. Culture is so critical at at organizations like this um, that everybody, because we're all working so hard and we keep our head down and run as fast as we can. Um, but if you're able to, to relax a little bit and have a good culture and have good relationships with folks, um, that is the most important thing. Um, uh, frankly, I know at our organization, and, and I look back now at organizations that I thought were dysfunctional or, or not as productive as they could have been, and it really started with the culture there. So we, we protect that here, um, particularly at TPPF, uh, to try to keep a, a very open, very honest, very direct, but also jovial and, and uh, respectful culture here.
0: Yeah. And it's easier to let go of whatever specific idea you have when you feel like, yeah, I just want to serve the mission. I just want to, I want to win. I don't, I don't care about my, my little talking point. Sometimes it's easy to get hung up on. You think you've found a brilliant way to communicate an idea and it's actually sort of striking out with folks. Yeah,
1: we've we've had that happen here before. So you just got you got to be open to being wrong too. And so you know, when we are a research organization, so if you think you're right about something and someone's wrong, you should you know do your homework and get the data and make a presentation about why it is that you're that you're right about something. And we do that here.
0: Yeah, that sounds like a healthy organization. Just having that grace to kind of let go of things and and move on to the next thing that's going to work. So this sounds like such a huge. Um, undertaking something that might be intimidating for other groups to take on how do you go about planning this i think i would have a hard time planning a road trip around texas just as a tourist so how do (laughs) i how do you plan a road trip how do you select which places you need to go is that based on um is that based on a, a district that might be kind of waffling on this issue is it um you know how do you plan those sites how do you plan out where to go and, and even get down to the details. Like, do you keep spreadsheets of this? Is there some tool that you use to help you stay organized? Because I think a lot of groups would be intimidated by doing this because they can see how it would quickly unravel into chaos and they would end up looking unprofessional.
1: Right. It's, you know, some of it is science and some of it is art like most things in politics. Sure. (laughs) The, uh, you know, the, the, obviously we want to go places where we get the most bang for the buck. So, um, you know Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, Austin—the the big metroplex areas—but you don't necessarily want to go necessarily into downtown Dallas. Um, maybe you want to hit the suburbs, or maybe there's you know counties around Houston which um, you know which are, which would be better uh, suited for this kind of event. Um, so there's there's some of that. You know we want to make sure that we're not going into just a, a super small town where you know our resources won't be well utilized. But at the same time, we also want to target places where these issues will resonate. Um, So issues where, you know, places like Austin, which are really dealing with um, very heavy property taxes, property tax increases every single year. It's pushing people out of the city. Um, People who've lived here their whole lives or they own their own house, but now have to sell because they can't afford property, the property tax. Uh, things like that, um, where we target areas that are that are really having to struggle with a, with a particular issue. Um, education is always a big one. So there are, you know, the rural areas always struggle with education funding. And so we've got some ideas on how to fix education finance. And so we'll go out to those areas and, and educate folks out there about that issue. So, so, yeah, you know, I would say it's probably about 80 percent science. We try to figure out and have a logical, reasonable reason. To go out there and, and to target a particular area, um, and then sometimes you know we we know who the the individuals are, the state reps and senators who work on these issues, who really care, or maybe they're going to be a chairman or just a very vocal person on a particular issue, and so why not go out to their district and have an event on that, um, you know, and see if they'll show up and and be part of our event with us. So um, so like I said, a lot of it is based on sort of a logical reason for why we go, uh, but others, you know, there might be. The other motives for, for picking certain areas.
0: Do you think appearing at one of these events helps those state reps uh, stand out as an expert on the issue? That they become the go-to person then within the legislature of I'm the I'm the expert on this, or I have some some insight on this. I'm a leader on this issue.
1: You know, we're very sensitive to that, and we, we don't want those events to to turn into that. Uh, for that reason, because we're a 501c3, we are a public education uh, um, institute. And so we're we're not trying to elevate any one particular politician or party, Um, uh, so uh, because that's not our mission at all. And so Mm -hmm. while we want to encourage people to come to them because it's a good dialogue between um, the, uh, the member and their constituents. Um, you know, we hope that that's not what people take away, that we were trying to elevate one member, uh, over another, you know, or one member on an issue over another. We just think that it's important in that particular area to go and have that discussion.
0: Yeah. I didn't, I didn't mean so much that you all were trying to, uh, lift that person up and, and highlight that person or advocate for them or anything like that. More that, um, are the, are those folks in the legislature, Interested in talking to you because you are serious about policy, and it has, it has that sort of effect of I take this issue seriously. I'm, I'm I'm in fact being less partisan on this issue. I'm being more about getting to the heart of of what is good policy here, rather than just what is good politics on this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and it you know it certainly doesn't hurt our credibility for the members to show up to our events. Um, but, you know, we feel like, um, you know, if we present ourselves in a particular way and knowledgeable on a, on a certain issue and and really just the, the kind of organization that calls balls and strikes uh, on what is good and what is bad, um, that, that that will be a respectful and atmosphere where, you know, members can show up and not feel like they're going to be attacked, even if they have different views on particular issues. Uh, we try to keep the events very respectful when it comes to, you know, the question and answer period. Um, so, yeah, we, we, you know, we hope that that's useful for the community community
0: and, and local um, officials as well. How do you control that aspect of things? I'm on a uh I'm on a local town committee and a town commission and we have public meetings and on occasion those public meetings can get a little weird uh when you have people who show up who have a particular question that sometimes does isn't even really germane to what you're talking about. I mean, because you it is an open forum and so you anybody bet. can show up and ask anything. Uh do yeah. you do you um Screen questions, or has that ne- never really been a problem? Um, it, not so much that you get somebody who, who disagrees with you. That's fine. That's what makes for a good debate. But um, someone who's just, uh, yeah, just kind of uh, bringing in their pet issue, whatever it is, uh, uh, into right. the discussion. Do you have any way of kind of screening those things or controlling it, or has that not been an issue?
1: You bet. Our executive director, Kevin Roberts, moderates all these panels, and he is a former university headmaster. Uh, so he uses that, (laughs) that (laughs) former skill of wrangling college students. Um, and he, and he utilizes it very well. He also has, like I said, a very good bedside manner when it comes to, um, you know, um, being very forceful is not the right word, but, but, um, enforcing, um, the, uh, the respectful nature of these meetings. And so, um, generally, we do have a, you know, one of the ways that you do it in events is you just never let go of the microphone. If you're going to have somebody give a, ask a question, you have somebody walk over with the microphone and you never relinquish it because as soon as you let go of the microphone, who knows what's going to happen. Uh, so that's one way that we uh, can, can get people to be concise in their, in their statements and their questions. Um, but also it's just a, it's just a tone that our, that our moderator sets at the very beginning and I think it worked out pretty well.
0: Yeah, that's an uh, excellent pro tip about the microphone. One of the goofy (laughs) podcasts I listen to called how did this get made where they review bad movies. They do a Q and a session at the end. And you often hear the host say, I'll hold the mic. I'll hold hold the mic (laughs) because people in the audience are trying to grab it out of his hand. And he knows this is letting go of this means letting go of control. And this could devolve into some real nonsense. (laughs)
1: Yeah, we've got a whole – I've got a whole set of do's and don'ts when it comes to doing town halls. Um, I work in both the House and the Senate, and, of course, we always have August recess uh, where you have to go home and and face the constituents during doing town halls. And I used to love them because, I mean, there's a real real formula for making sure that people – Uh, at the town hall feel like you are listening to them, that you are responding to them um, and that you are um, there for them to listen. I mean, we always used to call them listening tours. They weren't town halls, they were listening tours. And we used you know, we would sit there, you'd have a, you know, take the jacket off, you'd sit on the stool, you would have a notebook, you would literally take notes on what people were saying. Um, I used to tell my candidates all the time, take notes on what people are saying. That's how, that is a a nonverbal communication to demonstrate that you are listening to them and you care about what they're saying. So don't just stand at a podium with your tie and jacket on. You have to get down, you know, no stages, no podiums. We use lavalier mics, things like that. There's a whole formula for making sure that that you can keep the town hall uh, very respectful. And the the key is just by by making sure that the, the people there know you're actually listening to them and what they have to say.
0: That sounds like that sounds like a a cheat sheet you need to write up and distribute to folks <laughs> in other states.
1: In another life, I'll be a consultant that uh, teaches people how to not get yelled at at town halls.
0: Oh, because I, I I would think that you you put together that list of here's what we're going to do and the methods that we're going to follow. Um, that comes out of trial and error or or Absolutely. or learning from someone who's been through the trial and error before yeah. you.
1: Yeah. Every time you see one of these videos on, on CNBC or you know, MSNBC or Fox news of, of people yelling at their congressmen, uh, nine times out of 10, they're standing at a podium, they're on a stage above the audience. They're, you know, there's, there's distance, there's physical distance between them and the audience. It's just, it's a bad show. It's set up for that kind of thing to make it look like you don't care. And yeah, so, it's setting
0: up those optics of here's this person speaking truth to power rather than someone exactly yelling at someone who's standing next to them which which makes um yeah, makes makes like the the person being berated a little bit more of a sympathetic figure yeah. and probably would uh, stave off the berating to begin with. Um so you've got these events you're controlling them, you're not having a turn into that sort of optical disaster. That's all good. Um what sort of Uh, earned media or organic reach as you might say in the digital world are you getting out of these things do you find you're getting media there and that those videos that you're recording or streaming are getting shared Uh, how do you how do you leverage all of that
1: Absolutely, the events. I mean, in campaign world, it's the three M's, right? Like every time you do a cam, every time you do an event in campaign world, it's the money, manpower, and message. And so you, you know, you have an event, you do some kind of donor event around it, you do some kind of activist event around it, and then you, you know, invite the media and you either do a sit down with them one on one or you invite them to the event and then they can cover it. We we take a similar approach here. There's not necessarily a, a money or development opportunity uh, for these events, but we we definitely want to build community while we're there uh, but then also the press is incredibly important because uh, similarly to using the event to be able to talk to tens of thousand people on our list you know you can use the media as we all know to amplify your message and get that earned media value out of it um, so one of the things we always do is I'll always offer an exclusive with whoever the local paper is there um, you know especially these small towns I mean you know, one of the, the rules of political communication is these small town papers are like gospel. Um, you know, not a lot of people will read them, maybe several hundred or a thousand in a community. But every word that's in those papers is, is the absolute truth to those people. Mm-hmm. So making sure that you engage with the local uh, newspaper uh, in that area or local TV station or especially radio, we always try to offer an exclusive uh, like a sit down or, you know, a pre meeting with the local uh, uh, newspaper to come to the event and maybe 10 minutes before we start, you know, talk about what we're doing there or, you know, we'll have a TV camera and we'll do a stand up outside right before the event and then they'll come in and get some B-roll. It's very important uh, component to these events is is reaching out to the local media.
0: And that's something that I think a lot of folks uh, neglect or don't put into their calculus, which is there's, there's the reach of something, you know, uh, this this paper has fifty thousand readers, whatever the whatever the number is. I don't think any paper does now. Uh, <laughs> um, but but there's there's also just the the authority. So there's sort of two continuums that, that these things are measured on. Uh, do a lot of people read this? But but also when they read it, what do they think? Is this just a a disposable bit of writing, or is this really something that they take very seriously? So what is the quality of that authority? Uh, and, and often that 's neglected in favor of just increasing your your reach so I think it's it 's great that you 're reaching out to those local sources that are so trusted. And, and
1: they want to get the story right. I mean, this is, you know, it's not like the Houston Chronicle or these big papers, um, you know, that that have political bends or biases or whatever. I mean, these local papers just want to get the story right. And so a lot of times, you know, you can send them quotes and they'll quote you verbatim or they'll, uh, you know, use your press releases and things like that. So it's actually easier and more uh, fruitful to engage some of these smaller papers. And a lot of them are just overworked, you know, because they're small papers and, you know, that's kind of a dying industry. And they're having to be the sports guy and the city guy and the, the um, uh, you know four different jobs and so just being helpful to them and providing a service and helping them write their story uh, will get you you know get you a lot farther.
0: Yeah, making the other person's job easier is always a good idea, no matter what it is that you're doing. Uh, how do you end up measuring the success of these events? So we you know we were talking about this sort of earned media. Um, How many people attend, but are are there other metrics or um, maybe, maybe I can put it this way. How would you decide we should go to this place and do this again? Or we, we shouldn't do that. That, that one was kind of a swing and a miss.
1: Uh, there's a couple ways that we measure everything around here. One, you, you mentioned, I mean, you know, are we growing our, our audience size? Um, and then online, you know, how much engagement are we having with the event? Um, are we doing the things that we need to do and the messaging we need to do to promote it correctly to get people to, to view it or engage with our event? Um, but we also do a lot of polling. Um, we started a polling project last year in December and have polled every single month since then through the Through the legislative session and one of the things that we tracked during the poll was name id and then of the people who know us the sentiment are they positive or negative for us and so that's one of the things that we're that we're trying to improve statewide is just people who know about us and then once they get to know us do they like us and um you know that's one of the things that you know we're doing a statewide tour um uh, we'll 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 be able to see the fruits of that one way or the other um, in in the polling when we start doing our statewide polling uh, we start kicking that back up here again uh, pretty soon so that's one of the metrics we do is you know do people say that they've heard us because you know if we're spending you know resources and coming into a town uh, and trying to contact people you know six seven eight ten times about this event you know is that starting to permeate the, the community that Texas Public Policy Foundation uh, is a thing that they should be paying attention to um, so that's that's one of the many ways that we that we track our progress is make sure we're doing the we're on the right track.
0: and is email list growth another part of that?
1: It is um, you know, but I mean, in today's world with digital, it's just you know lead generation is kind of a formula. Um, mm-hmm. There's not a whole lot of you know organic growth. um uh, there's not a whole you know there's no such thing as viral videos anymore, necessarily. I mean, there's ways to to generate engagement um, you know, on the paid media side. So, uh, it, it has been, I mean, our, our daily product is called the Canon. Um, and it's, it's very quick hit, uh, three issues a day, uh, we, that we put out. And so we have tried to make that product, um, a service for people who get it. It's not just, you know, to promote our name or whatever. People actually get information from it, they get a, they get a tone, they get a, um, an opinion about things. And so it's just a real quick hit. They can look at it, three issues. What do we think about it? And then move on. Um, and so we use that to try and build our email lists, uh, or at least, at least provide a, a, a um, a useful product to our email lists on a daily basis. So, uh, so yeah, it's is email generation and lead generation is definitely part of what we do. Um, Uh, And we try to provide a service with the products that we email out.
0: But the events are more geared towards or you'd you'd consider an event successful simply because it's it's generating that name ID, making you more of a familiar brand, generating positivity around that brand as opposed to we hauled away 50 emails from this.
1: That's right. Yeah, Yeah. we'd want something more concrete than just an email. When we're spending that kind of time and resources, you know, moving our analysts, you know, out of Austin and into Dallas or Houston or the Panhandle, we want something much more concrete and much more lasting in terms of a return on investment than just getting a bunch of emails.
0: Yeah, and and for folks in other states, you have to remember how giant Texas is. This is not a day trip. (laughs) This is. This is pack your bags overnight. We're, we're hitting the road in a big way. That's right. So it, it might be easier for a, a state think tank in Rhode Island or Delaware to take this on. Yeah, uh, exactly.
1: Yeah, I tell people all the time when I moved to uh, D.C., you know, I mean, you can, It's not a big thing for a weekend drive to drive six hours somewhere and back. You know, just for a couple of days. And, you know, in DC, six hours will put you, you know, I'm halfway to
0: Boston. So it's like, <laughs> you know. Oh yeah, you can cross many many states. You can be in a different region of the country. Yeah, yeah
1: exactly. So uh, so yeah. So yeah, it's that that does present a challenge sometimes. But uh, you know, most of us here in Texas are used to it.
0: Yeah, I grew up in the Midwest, and it was just no thing to hit the road and and drive forever. Um, but it's, it's also easy in Wisconsin. There's not too many people on the, uh, on the interstate at any given time. Um, so you talked about polling, you use, do you use that as a, a general tool on everything you're starting at the beginning of working on an issue with polling, you're measuring success as you go.
1: Yeah, it actually, our our polling project's been really helpful. It it actually starts with um, the creation of the poll. That's really, really important that people understand how to write a poll question. Uh, We talk about it in terms of actionable intelligence. We want every single poll question to give us a, give us uh, intelligence on on what we should say, how we should say it, what works, what issues people care about, things like that. I mean, real, you know, and, and maybe even just the, the nuances or the contours of a debate. We want every single poll question to tell us something. Um, so we would never have a poll question like, you know, do you want to pay higher or lower taxes? I mean, 80, 90% <laughs> would pay higher tax. You know, some people use poll questions that way too, right? I mean, they, you know, then they publish them and say, see, we need lower taxes. That doesn't really tell you anything. I mean, even in a, dem- you know, if you split out the demographics, you're going to find that across the board, people don't like paying for government. Um, So we want to make sure that every single one of our questions tells us something. So when we write the question, we think, okay, if we got a 70-30 answer this way, what would we do differently than we're doing now? Or if we got it the opposite way, what how would that change what we say or who we talk to about this issue? Or if it's 50-50, does that tell us anything? Because these questions, you know, some of these polls, you know, they can be twelve, thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars a question. And so you don't want to waste your resources on that and not get anything from the poll question. So I, I don't want to overlook um, you know, when people say, Oh, we should do a poll, okay, that's you should do a poll, but are you are you, you know, are you do you know how to write it? Do you know how to write the poll question so that you can actually get uh, some information from it? So, you know, that's the, really the first thing. And then once you, once you get your data back, you know, it's really important to ask yourselves, okay, what did we learn from that and does this change anything or does this validate anything about what we're doing? Um, and just think real strategically about how to use each of these poll questions and then don't underestimate the, the cross tabs. I know they can be a little daunting sometimes depending on how many, you know demographics and regions and things that you test but but go look in your demographics you'll find or sorry your cross tabs you'll find some really interesting nuggets about you know we found that you know, on the property tax issue you know the the urban centers were really where where that issue resonated and then not so much um uh, in the rural areas um hmm. And so, you know, don't spend a lot of money going and talking to, you know, mill of nowhere, West Texas about property tax because they just don't think it's an issue. Go into, you know, urban uh, Austin or, or Houston and and have that issue. Uh, you know, if we're going to do an event out there in West Texas, don't bring our property tax guy, bring your education guy or bring somebody to talk about property rights or something like that because they, they really care about those issues. So um, it really does. It, it informs just about everything that we do here. Um, even down to you know the, how we name certain campaigns or the the kinds of arguments that we make uh, on a particular issue that resonate with people. Um, you know, I know you know, think tank people kind of get stuck in their ways is about talking about a particular issue or, you know, having the principled stand on this, and this is how we talk about this. And uh, but you know, if your data says that, well, you know, if you say it that way, you're alienating seven out of 10 voters, and they're going to turn you off, you know, you need to fix what you're talking about. So um, it, it really has, it's really informed um, a lot of what we do and has become a really useful tool uh, in our toolbox.
0: Yeah, and you bring up that sort of, um, if I change my way of talking about this, I'm abandoning my ideology. And of course, that's a false trade off, you can talk about something that still supports your ideological conclusion that you think that lower taxes are better or certain tax structures better. Um, but you can just you can present that information in a way that's favorable in a way that's not favorable. Um, how How did you did the organization have that polling and messaging built into it from the get-go or was that something that you integrated into the organization over time?
1: No, that's a change that a lot of organizations <laughs> don't like to make, um, and it's tough. But we do have a really good culture here of of trying to do the right thing. Um, so we did make some changes like that. Um, so it did. It wasn't something we started with. It was something that you know we had to learn to be comfortable with. Eventually, was you know talking about an issue in a way that we hadn't talked about it before. A good example is um, any issues that that co- that arise that. Uh, you know, ber- that are regulations on businesses are, are a really sticky one for conservatives because we like to talk about, you know, well, we shouldn't increase costs for businesses or, you know, it's going to hurt jobs or it's going to hurt their ability to make a profit or it's going to hurt their ability to hire or, you know, we, we talk about it in terms of like what the business goes through. And the vast majority of people are not business owners. They're not small business owners. They
0: work for businesses. I think who cares but, that rich guy can afford it.
1: And exactly, or, or even if he's not rich, even if they do have, uh, you know, compassion for small business owners or the food truck guy down the street, the fact is they don't know what those people go through, and they don't really identify with those arguments. And so you need to you need to couch those things in ways that actually affect the most people. And so you know, if these regulations do hurt businesses, businesses are going to have to make a decision about things. Right? They're going to say, "Well, I can no longer offer you these benefits, or I can't expand my workforce, so you're going to have to do." Three jobs, and so you have to talk about things in the way that the worker experiences them, or the way that you know the vast majority of people experiences them. You know, you know, people have that experience of starting a new job and and negotiating for certain benefits. Some people want bonuses, some people want flex time, some people want you know whatever it is benefits they have. Well, if you have this regulation come in and says businesses have to offer X, Y, and Z, well, that takes the the freedom. Away from that worker to negotiate those benefits, um, and so that that using that kind of language and using those, that kind of communication, now all of a sudden you're broadening uh, the number of people who say, "Yeah, I have had that experience. I've I've sat down with my employer. You know, I started. I had kids, and I needed you know flex time, or I needed to be able to get off at three thirty to go pick my kids up from from school. I've had those conversations before. Now, now I totally get why you don't like those regulations because that that hurts my ability to to prosper and to thrive and to. Do the things that I want to do. So, and and frankly, some of the polling we tested those kinds of things, and the polling told us that those messages work work better. So, you know, that's hmm. one way in which um, I think just conservatives in general, but certainly our organization, uh, need, if we want to talk about those issues, needs to adapt and change um, how they talk about them if they want to be successful on the public policy side.
0: Did you find a certain way of uh, getting marketing together with the policy folks? A certain way of uh, having a set of meetings or. How do you kind of negotiate that? Because both sides have to sit down and make sure we're still advocating good policy, but we're doing it in a way that that works, that's it's hitting with people. I mean, how do you do that on just a, a sort of nuts and bolts administration level? Do you have a, a, a before meeting and, a te- and, and then you poll and then another meeting afterwards to discuss the results? Or how does that negotiation work out?
1: Yeah, we have sort of a proof of concept model. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we don't, we don't just say, okay, this is the way we're going to do it. And everybody, you know, you know, turn this direction and now we're going to spend a bunch of money and all of our op-eds are going to say that we actually try and go out and test it first to make sure that, you know, if the polling comes back and it says 73% of people preferred this message over that message, you know, online digital offers a ton of opportunities for us to do AB message testing and to, to get some pretty quick and generally, um, useful feedback. Um, on a particular issue from the public to tell us whether or not they care about this issue or whether or not this messaging is working. And so we, you know, if we want to change it, we'll go out and we'll write an op-ed using that specific argument. Then we'll get the op-ed published and then we'll use bits and pieces of the op-eds as individual posts or individual products and go out and test it, you know, in the online space. And so once we have that, you know, testing going on and that research going on, then we'll come back and we'll say, you know, the polling said this, we tested it that way and we got these. Results and the analysts generally will say, "Okay, well that makes sense. That works. So I'm going to start using that messaging when I do a TV hit or something." So there's a there's a process that we work through, uh, but it's but it's to verify that we're doing something the right way. Um, it's never you know, oh the poll said this, so we have to do it that way. Um, you know, there is a, there's a process afterwards that, you know, gets the buy-in from the analysts and folks. And, um, not only because we need their buy-in, but because they're the ones that are going to be executing the messaging, whether they're giving testimony or doing a media hit, um, you know, we need their buy-in. So that's, it's, there is a process that works through it to prove that what we're doing is the right thing.
0: Hmm. And what sort of validation are you looking for, um, online when you break those op-eds up into bits, are you just measuring traffic? Or are you measuring some other sort of response?
1: Um, traffic, really it's, it's engagement. Um, particularly in Facebook is like a really cheap and dirty way to, to test engagement. Um, you know, over, especially because you can change the message so quickly, if something's not working, you know, within the first two or three or four hours and you're not having your, at least your typical results, um, on your posts, um, then you can change it out pretty quick. And so really it's, it's engagement. It's just kind of a, a quick and dirty way to, to test things without having to spend a whole lot of money to do it.
0: Do you find that it was hard to convince the policy folks to to take that seriously as a form of validation? I mean, I think that's a really great and it's copying what a lot of startups do. You you throw something out there, you try to get you try to validate the concept as quickly as you can through some feedback. Um, but was it hard to pitch that to people internally?
1: No, cause I think they get it. I mean, I think everybody is online now. Everybody has a Facebook page and, and a lot of them, particularly in politics are on Twitter. So, you know, and they get the the rush of of adrenaline every time, you know, somebody retweets them and, and likes their posts. So they understand that that is a meaningful thing. Um, uh, you know, it's not the end all be all. And it's not, you know, we would never do a Twitter poll and figure out, you know, what we're going to say off of something like that. Yeah. Uh, But I think that they at least get it and they understand that, you know, Hey, you know, we put out this video, you know, I had 30 seconds of you using this message and you got 7,000 likes on Instagram, that's a, that's a big deal for a think tank to go out and get, you know, almost 10,000 likes on something. So they, they get it. And it's all, again, it's all that proof of concept model that, you know, we go out and demonstrate it and then we'll turn around and, you know, and move the ship in that direction.
0: Well, that's good to hear because I think a lot of hesitation from groups on doing something like this and not being sort of uh, just policy driven that they're, that Instead of replacing it with that model where, where policy and marketing are constantly talking to one another and working as a team, that I think the hesitation is that the, the policy people will not roll with it. And you don't want to upset your policy folks. Those experts are such a valuable asset. But it sounds like, of course, the expert wants to be heard and have their expertise taken seriously.
1: Yeah. You know, and it's, I mean, a lot of times, I and mean, we don't have that problem here, but in other organizations where I have worked, I mean, it's just like, Hey, it's not my problem. You know, like I want to write a research paper. Here's what I know. Here's what I found out. Here's what I tested. And so I'm going to put it in this paper and whatever you do with it, fine, you know, that, you know, take it from there. And I'm like, well, now this is not really a useful product because you say things in ways that, that um, you know, people don't understand or that people don't believe or that um, is not, you know, is not in a is not a, you know, does not convey the message in a way where most people can relate to it. Um, so we don't, we, I, thankfully we don't have that problem around here, but, but it can be a problem in other areas because people think I'm the researcher. I'm not on the communications team, so I don't have to play a part in that.
0: Yeah. But communicating that metric back to the policy person of saying it this way, it landed with a thud saying it this way, thousands of people responded to it. That has to help move that maybe recalcitrant person out of their position.
1: Yeah. And I mean, they're researchers, right? So they understand metrics, they understand data. And so if you can present it that way, um, it is really, really helpful to say, you know, we did the math and 75% of people care about this issue and not that issue. So, you know, we, if we're going to talk to people, if we're going to talk to the citizens of Texas, you know, we need to talk about things they care about. So showing the data, will get people to say, okay, that's fine. We'll do it that way.
0: So we covered a lot in polling and messaging. Do you think it'd be helpful to talk about an individual issue uh i know that and i watched a a video uh of you all talking about a recent property tax reform in texas um should we talk about that reform and how all these mechanisms came to bear on that being a success
1: yeah so that, that um Po- policy issue campaigns are very different than, than, say, the statewide tour type campaign because you're, you know, in, on the events, you're, you have this one-off event and you're doing things, you know, two weeks, one week, three days out, and then you have the event and then you're doing your follow-up three days and then that's over and then you move on to the next event. With policy issue campaigns, um, it's much more like, I, I usually liken it to like, you know, a bowling ball going down the lane. And that, you know, it can veer right or it can veer left. And it's our job as bumpers to monitor it the entire time and push it back onto the lane so that mm-hmm. it is heading in the right direction. And so it's not this sort of, you know, you prepare for the big vote at the end. You're having to to nurture and to follow and to... Um, uh, react and be flexible constantly as this issue is going on all the way through when the big vote or the big debate is going to happen. Um, And so you have to set it up. uh, If you do it through like a campaign mechanism, you have to set it up very much like that, where you have different phases uh, over time, you have the sort of public education phase where you're going out and explaining this issue and the fact that it's gonna come up and how it you know, matters to people generally. And during that public education phase, you're looking for people who are gonna be your supporters and gonna be your community. And so once you build that through the public education campaign, phase, then you need to move into the actual community phase where you now have your group of, you know, supporters or just interested parties or, you know, audience targets or whatever you have. And you're now only talking to them and you're building them up and you're building that out. preparing them for a time when a some subset of those for lack of a better term will be your activists. Where people when you move into phase 3 who will be the people who actually, you know, in a campaign these might be your door knockers or your phone callers or you know people who actually help out and volunteer on the campaign. In an issue campaign these might be people who will show up in an a rally or an event or call their congressman and and all that. So you've got to be monitoring that all the way through the process um, so it's very different, uh, than just, than just like these, these one-off events. Um, and we, we did that with the, with the property tax, um, uh, issue and, and had some, some really good success. Um, again, it wasn't a total win, but we did have some good success, uh, in that, in that model.
0: How did, uh, I, I think it might be helpful to talk about specifics cause it's, it, it's, it's yeah. sometimes hard to, um, pin these things down in in generalities, um, how did polling, you polled at the beginning of this uh, this issue campaign. How did that inform how you proceeded? And did you poll again as you went? And and how did basically how did you adjust the bumpers as you went along?
1: Yeah. So we we knew from the beginning that you know property taxes were going to be an issue for people. Um, the first thing we wanted to really test again the actionable intelligence we wanted to get from the poll is what was the intensity. Uh, people say they don't like taxes. People say they probably, you know, they don't, homeowners say they don't like, or business owners say they don't like property taxes. But what was the intensity level? Was it something that if we spent a lot of time and energy on this, would we be able to build a community? Was there a constituency out there who really cared about this sort of top of mind issue? And so that was the first thing we wanted to go out and test, is find out, you know, what the intensity was. Um, and we were, you know, Pleasant, well, I guess not pleasantly surprised to find out people are mad, but but we (laughs) we did find out that people were mad uh, about it, and so we knew that we didn't have to spend a lot of time and effort on educating people on the on the on the actual issue itself, right? Because if it's if if people do have a palpable. Uh, anger towards what's going on, then you don't, you don't need to tell them what's going on as much. And you don't need to spend time and money and resources educating people on that. So that was really helpful from the poll to learn from the beginning that we could just talk about property taxes and people knew what we were talking about and the, you know, the increases and and all of that. Um, So that was really helpful from the the polling standpoint is that we started three or four steps ahead from where we we would have been if it was another, you know, issue like the business margins tax or something that they were going to work on that we would have to educate people as to why that mattered um, so that was really helpful uh, information that we got early on from our polls is that we didn't have to do as much pre-work
0: yeah that that's that's sort of laying the groundwork for is there is there really a problem here we always when we talk about campaigns that we do we talk about saying the problem in a way that resonates with the person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you didn't have to do as much work there because folks already viewed this as a problem. So just simply bringing up the issue of property taxes and how it affects them, they're bought in. Yeah. Um, so how did you then test what uh, what solution you you ought to offer up? Because sometimes these things are really complicated at the state level. You know, how are assessments done? How are um, the assessment of your property value how do, how do we determine how much to raise that? Whose budget is going to be cut? How are these things affected? I mean, this quickly yeah. descends into <laughs> wonkery that makes your eyes glaze over. So how did you test then what solution to sort of offer up to folks?
1: That's exactly right. People did not care about the details. They did not want to know the details. They didn't want to see the sausage being made or even be told how it was being made. What our research demonstrated was that people just thought, people said at the end of the day, whatever it is that you pass, whatever reform that you pass, you have to cut my taxes. You're not slowing the growth of the taxes. It can't increase again next year, but increase less than it normally would have. Playing all those political games, I want the bill to be less than it was this year. And so that was a really easy message for us to to um, uh, to convey. Frankly, is we you know we went into the legislature and, and met with officials and, and state reps and senators and and governor's officials, and we said, look, if you pass something that does not actually cut people's taxes, they are going to revolt. Uh, They're going to be very angry. That's what our, our research says. Uh, it's also the right thing to do. It's also the right policy. People need to have lower taxes. People need to specifically have lower property taxes for all the reasons I talked about earlier. But, um, but that was the one, that was the one thing that really, that really, uh, came out of the uh, messaging research that we did is that it has to be less. It can't simply be a little bit more or not as much as it would have been. It actually has to cut my taxes. Um, and so that's the message we went with and we built a, um, We had a model for our piece of legislation, for our uh, solution that we had, and we built a a model that where you could go in a little widget on our website uh, called our Property, property tax cut calculator and you could put in how much property tax you paid last year. And then there was a little widget that it would show you currently where, you know, it was headed straight up basically. Uh, and where under our solution, where you would actually pay less over the next 10 years and you paid less every single year. And then it added up the difference between those two. And it said, not only will you pay less, but you know, over the next 10 years, you'll save $32,000 in property taxes. And so we built that, we built a page for that. We built a little widget for it. Um, you using our model. Um, And that was a really awesome product because it was so simple. You just went out and you said, Hey, put in your number right here. You pay $5,000 in taxes over the next 10 years, you'll save $26,000. Easy done. And so uh, once we had people really seeing um, the returns on that and say, you know, wow, I could really use $25,000. Then they were able to go and convey that message uh, effectively to their, their various representatives. So that was a really that was a that was a really easy win for us there.
0: Do you end up incorporating that poll information back into how you are communicating about the policy itself? As so in, when you release something, do you say this is this is a problem because seventy three percent of Texans say that their taxes are too high?
1: We do. We generally will release things like that in our commentary and op-ed pieces. Um, So, for example, every single month that we polled, we asked people, you know, how angry they were about their property taxes. And that was information that we used repeatedly over and over and (laughs) over again. How do you measure Um,
0: that anger? Do you
1: (laughs) (laughs) intensity? Yeah, the intensity. You know, you can ask it four or five different ways um, uh, about you know to try and measure the intensity of someone caring about an issue. Um, It's not just you know, and and that way you're trying to get out sort of the virtue signaling. A lot of times it happens in polling where people say, you know, do you care about you know this issue or you know do you care about poor inner city you know urban kids not getting an education like everybody will say yes about that. Yeah. It doesn't really tell you anything. You've got to really get down to the nuances of what, um, you know, people actually care about a particular issue. So yeah, there are definitely ways
0: to do that. Like rank the priority of these issues, something like that
1: break the priority? Or, you know, how much are you willing to sacrifice to clean the environment? You know, are you willing to pay 15% more, 20% more, 30% more in gas prices or electricity prices um, if it lowers emissions? You know, things like that you can you can ask to, to try and get, you know, the intensity on on a particular issue for people. So one of the, um, uh, to answer your question directly, one of the big moments in our property tax campaign um, was, it was, I guess it was the, we did a poll the week before the vote that they were gonna have on property tax uh, cuts. And there was some, they were still making the sausage and they were still trying to figure out, you know, what the bill was gonna do and who was exempt from it and who had to pay and all this stuff. And I think the Wednesday, so we did a poll the week before and we just asked them very directly, um, you know, like, would you be angry? Would you be upset? if the property tax, you know, did not go down next year. I forget exactly what it was. Again, that's kind of a general question, but the the idea was, you know, would you be angry um, or, you know, upset if if the reform they're working on didn't actually cut your property taxes. And of course, 80% of people were, said they would be very angry. So we released the, the results of that particular poll question um, to the media. And they wrote up a big article about our, our property tax polling. And that went crazy on the Wednesday before the vote and got around and, and definitely got in front of the people that it needed to get in front of. And so by the following Friday, I'm not saying there's a one to one correlation here. But uh, by the time they they announced the big package for a property tax reform plan one of their main uh, talking points and messages was that the thing that they had put together would in fact cut people's property taxes by X amount next year and by you know this amount in the next you know ten years so uh, that that message definitely got through and we used the polling to to coax our friends uh, along on that issue
0: yeah so I think uh, th- all of this adds up to a lot of a lot of evidence that polling is, is worth the investment because it, it seems like it takes public policy from being a debate amongst wonks to public policy being an interactive process between real voters, uh, legislators, and the people who are policy experts who can help sort out those those details, those eye-glazing details. Um, how do you think you can convince um other other groups to take this on as a method i mean um one thing i can think of is has it has it helped with fundraising
1: um i don't honestly that's a good question i i don't know um that the polling itself has helped out with fundraising as much as the 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 decisions we made because of the polling, helped us to be more
0: effective,
1: and then we made that case to people who would, you know, do, who would donate to
0: us. So the victory um, helps to helps yeah. to raise money, of course.
1: Yeah, for sure. And and so it's not like, hey, we do polling, give us money. It was more like we did some polling, we learned some things, we tried, you know, it out this way, and it was successful. You know, now don't you want to support a successful organization? I think that would be more of the line uh, to get there. Uh, you know, more than anything, you know, I think I think organizations, particularly think tanks, are um, are reticent to use polling, maybe because they just don't know how to use it. Um, and like I said, it's very very important that you that each question tell you something or give you some kind of instruction on what to do or what not to do or validate or or contradict uh, what you're doing. And I just, you know, at some organizations I've been at, you know, they just they think, well, polling isn't going to tell us anything or we're not, you know, we're not the kind of organization that would, um, you know, message, be be the messenger on this kind of stuff. We just do the research part, um, which I think is a real lost opportunity. So it's just, I think more than anything, 50,000 foot, I think it's just convincing them that it is a useful tool and teaching them how to use it um, is probably the first thing if I wanted to convince someone to, to get into polling.
0: What's a small way to get into it? I mean, what one way you can overcome... A hesitance to do something is to just do it on a small version and validate that it works so the polling is a form of validation but we want to validate polling itself in this case um, is there a way that you that um, that you all started small and were able to bring this to bear on something or did you find that you just had like a pain like we really really don't know how to talk about this issue so we really need to get some some input on this
1: yeah taking issues where you're sort of stuck um, for in Texas, the, the school choice and, and education choice movement has been kind of stuck for about. 20 years, um, that a place like Texas really, you know, a place like, you know, Maryland and, and, and DC aren't exactly red States or red areas. And yet they have as robust a school choice and charter schools and things like that. Um, and Texas does not. Um, so it's been one of these issues where, you know, what is it about Texas? We're conservative. We believe in, in free market and, and, you know, improving the free market in public education. And certainly school choice. Why is it that a state like Texas is having a tough time convincing people um that we should change you know make those reforms and so that's you know find an area where you're kind of stuck and then and then see, and then go out and test your messages um, on people and figure out, you know, what it is about those messages that don't work. Uh, one, one way you can do that is just do a focus group. I mean, focus group is like essentially a live poll where you can, you know, ask people and follow up and, you know, why do you think that way on that issue? And then they tell you and you say, well, why do you think that way? And you keep digging down to try and figure out what the value is that people have that, that, you know, informs their opinion. And so you can do focus grouping ahead of time to kind of work through some of those issues. Um, And then that will actually inform your polling because then you can say, oh, we didn't know that. We didn't think that people thought of things that way. Let's actually use that as part of our messaging uh, to test it in the poll. Um, So that would be one way to to start is maybe even just start with a focus group where you can get some feedback and, and, you know, live feedback with people and do follow up questions and then maybe, you know, do a poll. Um, I would avoid doing, you know, do you support or oppose X because... Um, that's not going to really tell you if your messages are working or what people think about issues. I would do, you know, some, some pretty in-depth actual messaging where you're testing certain things um, one against the other. Uh, so that might be a way to, to, way to get into it, to show proof of concept.
0: Is there a good book or resource that you would recommend on just getting your mind around that poll issue? Because it seems like it is very hard for people to not just ask questions that are confirming uh, their biases or, or getting people to validate the conclusions they've already reached.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny. People have asked me this. Uh, I had a, I'm going to steal this quote that I got from somebody uh, very early on in my career where I asked, I said, you know, is there a book that I can, can teach me about campaigns or teach me about politics? Or, you know, what would you recommend that I read? And they said, any book that would be useful would be too long to read. And any book that's short enough to read would not be useful. <laughs>
0: so
1: it's uh so it's one of those things where you really just sort of have to do it by experience um and and kind of get into it i mean there are there are you know there are obviously good polling firms and bad polling firms and so maybe educating yourself on you know which firms are out there that are good and then just sitting with them and you know talking to them and kind of getting an idea of like how they do their polls um might be might be one way to kind of get into it and ease into it without having to risk a whole lot
0: yeah that's sort of like reading a book about uh woodworking is my hobby and you can only read so much about this. You have to eventually just try to do it. Yeah. They're like
1: parenting too, right? Like, I mean, it's like, you know, is oh, there? A yeah, book? you read
0: a parenting book and as soon as you have a two-year-old screaming in front of you, you know, <laughs> the, the book goes out the window.
1: And that's like, and that's the same thing with politics and policy and campaigns and stuff. It's really, you just have to get your feet wet.
0: <laughs> uh, so separate from the polling issue is, is there anything that you that you have read that has been short enough to be useful that, that maybe isn't a manual for doing a lot of these things, but is um, a way of thinking about it, like, a, like maybe something that tackles more like messaging or how to talk about these sorts of issues.
1: Um, you know, there is a book, one of, my, one of my earliest influencers was a book by a guy named Eric Denzenhall called Damage Control. And it's about rapid response um but it's and it's more like corporate rapid response and he uses ca- test cases like um the time that uh, like target was having someone was like tampering with their aspirin there and it had this you know this big PR nightmare um but he uses different test cases to talk about it but there's a lot that you can learn from that book about uh communication in a high intensity you know, particularly things like policy debates or politics or campaigns. There's a lot of lessons that I learned that I still use today from that book. It's uh, Eric Denzenhall, Damage Control, uh, and it's, uh, you know, it's a good place to start just if you want to get into politics or policy or, or you know, political communication, uh, that might be a good place to start because it, at the very least, it helps you identify, you know, what, what's going on. Is this, a, is this a, you know, a coordinated attack against my campaign or my organization? Um, is this just, you know, something that I don't need to pay attention to or maybe something I need to monitor? And, you know, when do I know that it's something I need to respond to? Um, that was really helpful. And I've used those lessons throughout my entire career. So that might be a good place to a good place to start if people want to get into it.
0: Now, other than yourselves, uh, do you find that there's another group in the the sort of state state network or even at the national level that's particularly excellent that people should look at and and model their own marketing after?
1: Yeah, you know it's funny. We um we just had a big meeting with some of the um the more active and aggressive uh, state-based think tank communication teams, uh, literally just two weeks ago here in Austin, um, and it's funny because we're all successful in our own ways uh, because we we take different approaches to what we want our communications. Um, apparatus to be doing. So, for example, you know, we're very much focused on this sort of campaign model of using communications to get legislation passed. Uh, but our friends at, say, like the Illinois Policy Institute, uh, they take more of a news-based, they want to be seen as a resource for news um uh when with their communications you know illinois obviously is a very blue state so they're the odds of them you know having a big legislative agenda or legislative goals are probably pretty slim so their communications reflects that that they really want to be people who educate others about these issues in a sort of a newsy format um there's a good group um out of uh, well i guess their their folks are all over but um uh, a group called FGA um, that has a really robust um, organization, communications organization, um, and they they do sort of quasi uh, communication and legislative. They do more national legislation, too. Um, so their communications reflects that. I mean, it's really hard to get you know legislation through Congress, particularly now and in the last 10 years. So their communications office um, is a lot about um, just sort of educating people on on national issues. Um, so you know, those are two organizations that I would, I would definitely Definitely
0: recommend. Yeah. And for more on FGA, listeners can go back to episode three of this very podcast. Uh so that's <laughs> that's a helpful recommendation. Um, do you see any particular place where uh you know we've talked about polling as maybe a thing uh that's that folks could pick up on, but any other areas where you see public policy groups are just they have a blind spot, they're missing something?
1: Um it adaptation, invention. Efficiency. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we are doing things now that we didn't even think of doing two years ago We're and, and are part of our repertoire and part of our products that are really, really important. And one of the things is we started doing pictorials and pictorials are, you know, you go in, you meet with somebody, you get their story about how they, you know, about how they are use, you know, health care or, or education or you know, how they lost their house because of uh, property taxes or some local government is trying to take away someone's property rights you go in, you sit down with them, you take really glossy, awesome pictures, um, you get their story and then you, you design it, you know, in a way online um, that is, you know, that helps tell the story through the pictures and through just, you know, general quotes about their story. We're doing that more and more. And that's, that's having much more uh, success than, than our op-ed, like our op-eds and opinion pieces and our commentaries. We're getting a lot more engagement there. People are understanding it through the story rather than the argument. Um, So that's one thing that we've adapted to um, that we just tried out and, uh, and it's, and it's been working. You know, I tell my team around here, um, you know, our, our philosophy is R and D replicate and, or no, uh, rip off and duplicate
0: Um,
1: (laughs) because everybody steals from everybody. Um, but and, but you can make it your own thing, and so I, I don't I don't even know where I got the idea for the pictorials. I think it was maybe even just a news website. I just thought it was like a really cool way to tell a story, um, and so I pitched it over to our digital director and our communications associate, and they've really taken taken off with it and made it their own. You wouldn't even know that we ripped it off from someone else because it's it's totally our product now, um, you know. But but the products that you like, I mean, look out there at the daily emails that you write. Why do you why do you read that daily email? What is it about it? Is it the pictures? Is it the story? is it because it's really you know a quick hit you don't have to spend a lot of time on it why do you like certain products uh steal whatever that is and then make it your own um, and and be able to adapt and invent and um and innovate uh, with your own communications products
0: yeah there's the um there's that steve jobs quote that i think he he may have incorrectly attributed to picasso good artist copy great artist steal (laughs) and i think that's I think that's right. I mean, the idea that you're going to come up with the best way of doing things all on your own in your own mind, or even in your um, your your particular uh, brain trust, is um, is a little is sort of arrogant and ignores the fact that you know you live <laughs> in this world of lots of people, and someone some so someone somewhere else has come up with a good idea. You ought to copy those things and just make them your own.
1: Yeah, we've had several people or several organizations in our um, in our or I mean in our network copy our daily email now, and they were real upfront about it. They're like, "You guys are having a lot of success. I love reading it every day. I'm going to steal that. We're going to do that." And I'm like, "Great!" You know, it's the sincerest form of flattery, you know. So we, we I put that it. in
0: a board report. That sounds good.
1: How the <laughs> exactly.
0: organizations are doing what we're doing. We must be doing it right.
1: Absolutely. And so there's there's good that there's that culture in our network where we're totally fine with with sharing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in the business world, it happens all the time. As soon as somebody strikes, uh, I, I think about like those old spice ads, the, uh, the, the quirky ad, I'm the guy, your guy could smell like, and, <laughs> and then you saw, you saw all sorts of companies decide, okay, we're going to do something kind of quirky and memorable and strange, yeah. um, soon after that. So that, that, that copying of what works, it only, it only makes sense not doing so sort uh, Doing yourself a disservice. Um, is there any other bit of advice, or a nugget of truth, or some bit of insight that you'd like to communicate to folks?
1: Uh, what I tell one of the things I tell my staff all the time, or at least the general the analysts around here, is there's no such thing as the general public. We used to um, we used to ask all of our analysts. They would write an op-ed, or they would have a you know an idea for an op-ed, or they'd write something. And I'm kind of getting through it, and I'm like, "Who is this for? Like, who is our audience here?" So I would ask the analysts, um, you know, who, "Who are you writing this for? What's the purpose here?" Oh, it's for the general public. I'm like, "Well, if you're writing for everyone, you're writing for no one. You know, you need to have a you need to have a real." audience in mind, you have to understand who your audience is for this particular message. And we do that with every single thing that we put out is we know that is this for, you know, our conservative audience? Is it for our moderate audience? Is it for our activist audience? Is it for digital? Is it for people who read, you know, online news? Uh, we know we can tell you, you know, top of our mind exactly why we're writing this piece or why we're communicating it in in this way. Um, even on issues where you know a particular message didn't resonate with the majority, like say we had a message and and you know only thirty percent of people thought that that was a good message, we'll go identify who that thirty percent is. You know, like you don't just toss that. You go into the demographics and you find out. You know, was this you know eighteen to thirty five in rural areas and you know on a particular we'll go find that audience and say, Hey, you know, that's 30% of people that we can be talking to in this way. And it was, it was an effective message. So, you know, always be thinking Hmm. about who your audience is and, and what you're communicating, um, as best you can, and and with the digital products that are out there today, there's no reason you shouldn't be doing that because it's really easy to segment. It's really easy to understand, almost down to the individual you know person behind the email address, what that person cares about and what they think about an issue, um, and what and what message will resonate with them. So um, that's the biggest thing I would I would advise you know to people coming up.
0: Yeah, if you don't know who you're speaking to, you won't know how to speak. That's right. Well, thank you so much, Brian Phillips. I think uh, with that, we're, um, we're running up against the time for the show. So I want to thank you so much for your time. Is there anything you'd like uh, listeners to check out at your organization? Should they sign up for the Canon and become push you Absolutely. over 40,000 subscribers?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. It's, uh, our website is texaspolicy.com. Um, and then right there on the front is a, is a way you can sign up for our daily email um, you might even recognize some things about the email that you see in other people's emails. So, <laughs> uh, but it's a, it's a great product. It's a good way to stay. It's uh, very current with issues that are going on, but also to get that policy side. If you're, if you're tired of the, of, of just the back and forth and the politics and, and, you know, sniping at each other and all the snark from Twitter and all of that, um, this actually, um, is a, is a really informative, uh, product that we put together every day. We're really proud of. So texaspolicy.com and you can sign up for our, our daily email. the canon.
0: Sounds like a salve for the, the battered soul of people engaging in too much social media. Absolutely. Very good. Well, Brian Phillips, I appreciate it so much. Uh, I hope we talk again soon.
1: All right. Thank you. I appreciate it.
0: My thanks again to Brian Phillips. I encourage everyone to check out the Texas public policy foundation and the good work they're doing there. Please remember to rate and review this show on Apple podcasts, follow tall street digital on Twitter, like us on Facebook, Facebook, You can even like us on LinkedIn and make sure to share the show with other public policy, marketing, and communications professionals like you. Talk to you all again next week.